Welcome to all our listeners. And today I'm so excited because we have Mrs. Sylvia Worsham. And she is an author, multilingual speaker, and Turning Points coach. Hi, Miss Sylvia. How are you today? I'm doing really good, Mahal. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. We love having you. And I know that those are just the basic things that I've said about you. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about you? Sure. I grew up in South Texas, so I grew up speaking Spanish. I'm full-blooded Mexican. Most people would never peg that the minute they see me or even with a last name like Worsham, but that is my husband's last name. And I didn't, I wasn't always the author that I've become today. I, my background is in sales. I was in corporate America for a long time. And during my first marriage, uh, got divorced and moved up the ladder at Pfizer. And then I had a, an interesting awakening, a, a very big turning point. I nearly died in 2012 of pulmonary embolisms. And it kind of like woke me up to a different life, to my divine soul's purpose. Uh, because at that time, you know, when you face death and you face a chance of, they gave my family a 20% chance of my survival. I looked at it as an opportunity to shift the lens of my life and to really start that quest to uncover my divine soul's purpose. And so I started this whole personal growth journey in those years. And I came to, uh, through promptings from God, uh, apply to be part of the John Maxwell team in 2017. Uh, in, the, in the interim, though, I traded off my multiple award-winning career at Pfizer and became a stay-at-home parent. That was a huge transition for a woman like me, uh, but we managed quite well. And then I became a speaker, coach, and trainer. And then when the pandemic hit, I had a very strong prompting from God that said, you need to, uh, you need to write your book. It's time. Trust me. And I started to put pen to paper. And before I knew it, I had a 15-page, 15-chapter book called Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change. And it shares real and raw stories of change of my life and how turning points can truly be life-changing. And when you turn to God or your inner source of wisdom, he will lead you to your light and to your divine soul's purpose. So I'm here today. I'm so excited to be with you. And I'm ready to get this interview started and answer your questions. Thank you so much. Yeah, you have such an amazing story and a lot of good accomplishment. And me and Annette just actually just got done publishing and talking about Easter, you know, about Christ and salvation and all of that. But before I ask anything about salvation, I know you have a very different kind and unique and interesting story to share about Easter because Easter morning is different which you could compare to everybody. I'm sure some might have, but can you share with us what happened on Easter morning? It was 2012, and I had walked in in stable condition to the hospital when they did the original scan of my lungs. They found two large pulmonary embolisms in my left lung, and the night before, I had felt this pain that felt like 50 knives were simultaneously piercing my chest. It was very, very painful, and I had... I had consulted with my brother, who is a doctor, over the phone before I took a flight from South Texas to Houston because my boyfriend of like four months, who is now my husband, had invited my little boy and I to Easter weekend in Louisiana. So we were going to fly to Houston, spend the night, and then drive to Louisiana. 
And luckily we spent the night at a hotel because the moment I like jolted out of bed with that pain, I heard a very strong prompting that said, lean forward and you'll be able to breathe. And I acted on that prompting almost immediately. And that's the first miracle I received on Good Friday. And the next day I went inside the hospital, they did a scan and a doctor my room and says, a woman in your condition should not even be sitting up talking to me. It's a miracle you even survived last night because that pain you felt were those two blood clots that were going through your heart and they did not stop your heart, but they went into your left lung and they're rather large. But we're going to admit you, uh, we also found, they said, like, your liver looks inflamed. So we're going to do a scan tomorrow, but don't worry about it. This is what he said to me, right? So I get admitted. My, my little boy's outside with my boyfriend, who he's only met once before. Uh, so as a single mom, you that's your biggest aim is like, what's happening to my little boy? You're not even thinking of your own pain. So I get a landline, I call my boyfriend, I'm like, someone needs to fly up and pick up this boy because it doesn't seem like I'm going to be leaving the hospital anytime soon. The next day, they do a scan of the abdomen to see what's going on with the liver. And that's when I get six doctors in my room. And neither one of them is looking me straight in the face. And I've told you, I came from sales background. And when you're in sales, you learn to read a room rather quickly. And the room said grim, like there is bad, bad news. And the doctor had seen me the day before said, we have a real problem. You have a massive blood clot. Now, for those that don't know what a blood clot is, is when your blood kind of like clumps up and it blocks the main veins of the body. And that's a big problem because if it blocks it completely off, then that's when you go, you can have a heart attack or a stroke or any of those complications. Well, in my case, the main vein that supplied blood to all my main organs was clotted. It, there was very low blood going to my main organs. And so I faced uh, the potential of a liver failure. And so he said, do you see the three doctors on your right? And I said, yes. And he said, well, that's the transplant team and they're on your case now. So here I'm faced with uh, pulmonary embolism. One usually kills a person. I had multiple. I didn't just have the two large ones. I had like five or six throughout my body, plus this massive one that was really, really threatening my life. And in a moment of sheer terror, I fully surrendered to God. I, I, I envisioned falling into God's arms. And I told them, now my life is in your divine hands because I know that doctors were very skeptical. I would survive even the night. This is like Saturday before Easter, Sunday morning. And the next morning I wake up, they had started me on therapy and if the therapy didn't work, then they were going to move on to something a lot more radical that was really going to kill me on the spot, mm. right? Like on the surgery table. So they had already explained that to me. And, um, a woman with the Catholic diocese walks into the room at the same time that my boyfriend's coming in. Cause my mom had spent the night with me and, uh, and she said, do you want to pray with me? And so we formed this circle and we started reciting the, our father. And in the middle of the, our father, a love that's so immense enveloped the entire room. And I remember feeling cradled in his loving arms. And feeling peace wash over me, like a knowing that I was okay, that I didn't need doctors to confirm because I was about to be wheeled in to see what had happened, like if the therapy had worked, what were the next steps. And I just knew. 
I had the serenity about me. And when she left the room, my boyfriend turned to me and said, you felt him too, didn't you? And I said, yes, I did. I, I felt God's love. And that was second miracle that I received on Easter Sunday. And the third and final miracle was within 20 minutes when they wheeled me in to see what had happened. I had no long-term complications, which in a case like mine is unheard of. Uh, because usually when you have emboli that, that are in your lung, they leave holes in your, in your lungs, which means that you have to have transplants and a longer road to recovery. And I had none of that. And the doctors were totally shocked, but I wasn't because he had already told me you're going to be okay. And that was the third and final miracle. And that's what, that was the, the miracle I received on Easter Sunday morning. And that's what led to my major transformation was this trauma turning point. Yes. Um, talking about that reminds me of not just the salvation story that we've talked about last month, but also the episode we did a couple of months ago yeah that's a couple of months ago when we talk about miracle god definitely heals heals us and stuff so is that um i guess is that the turning point for you is that when you encounter jesus in your life because of everything that's going on i encountered him after my divorce the very mm -hmm. first couple of times i encountered him very powerfully after my divorce in 2008 and but the relationship deepened after this turning point because once you surrender and accept your fate no matter what comes that's a very difficult first and second step to make uh, the surrender piece i think is what's the toughest for anybody who uh, is a faithful believer of christ right a lot of us believe in him but a great deal of us still don't trust him fully to take the reins of our life. And I think that's where the surrender piece and the trust piece is so different. That's where this turning point was very significant in my life. It, it shifted that relationship around to just from believing to fully trusting him and giving him my life and stepping fully into that role. Yes, I agree. And there's so many um, people that have such a hard time. Like I talked, to to another friend of mine in an interview and we talk about surrendering surrendering it to god you know giving the control to to god and you know just letting it go and just giving it up what advice should you give people why they should you know just surrender it all to god here's the best advice when you're born you are born with a soul identity you know, your soul is your light, your gifts, where you carry the Holy Spirit in you. And it is your guiding light, if you will, and your guiding voice, right? It's your inner wisdom, your intuition. And when you surrender, you hear that voice a lot more because you're used to that relationship where you actually turn to him for life's major choices or even small choices in life because life is there he's he wants relationship with you but in order for that relationship to work you gotta have you gotta have trust and when you don't trust him to take the reins of your life even in small actions then you're you're journeying through life and allowing your mind your ego 
to make those decisions for you. And at times what happens with that is that you take longer detours to joy that way. I mean, you still journey to joy, right? Like you have pockets of joy in the journey, but when you surrender to him, you find opportunities and more joy in your life. It's not as stressful as when you leave them out of the equation. That's good. And almost a continuation to what you just said. In your life, what did you notice? What is the difference of your life before you accept him as your savior and after you accept him? Before, I was really operating from a fear-based ego. I I was so afraid of failure and I was such a perfectionist and I was such a needing to achieve to be happy that I was searching for happiness outside of myself. Whereas after this turning point and after the surrender piece, I started to look inward for my answers. I, I stopped looking for them outside of myself. And I found that I leaned into change as opposed to resisting it. And with him, once you see yourself the way that God sees you, when you actually accept him and accept loving yourself the way he loves you, and you see yourself that way, there's like no turning back. You just, that other side of you, that side that is the overthinking things, that stresses out, that stresses everybody around you, that person just kind of dissolves in the background. You just don't want to go back to that because you're not joyful in that state. You are joyful when you are in full alignment to your soul and your soul's identity and in relationship and trusting relationship with him. That sounds great. Yeah. And you mentioned that you traded working with a pharmaceutical company to being a stay-at-home mom. What made you do that decision? The love in my life. I, you know, when you face death and, and you come to a moment in your life where you have zero, I mean, zero control over the outcome. Yeah. Cause when they tell you, you have 20% chance of surviving, that means that you have an 80% chance of dying. <laughs> it's like, it's a really bad scenario to be in and you surrender and accept you become free. The freedom piece is so, it, it's freeing to be that individual. And I, I traded off gladly the golden shackles that the pharmaceutical world provided to me. Because what happens when you work in corporate America is a lot of times you're doing it because you're, uh, you're living up to the expectations of others. If you're, if you're working in a job that fulfills you, great, keep doing it. But if you were someone like me, where I felt not enough, the majority, the big majority part of my life, I, I strove for that achievement because I was raised by immigrant parents. You know, when you're raised by immigrant parents, they have this idea that in order to be worthy to be in this country, they've got to prove their worth through the achievements they have, right? At least in my case, that's how I felt. And so I, when I thought I, I got there being the number one spot at Pfizer and I did it multiple times, I thought I'd feel happy and I didn't, I felt so unfulfilled. So when this turning point occurs, 
I start to look at what's really important in my life. And what's really important are not the achievements. What's really important is the people in it and the love in my life and the relationships I have and the deep relationships I have with Christ and with those that surround me, which at the time was my boyfriend who later became my husband and my mother and my son and then later my daughter. So I traded it off because the love in my life was more important to me than, you know, earning a six-figure salary. I agree. And I actually thought of two questions while listening to you, but I'll go with the first one. Hopefully, I don't forget the second one. The first question that I thought of goes back to a few months episode that we did before, and it's about, you know, love and about the love that Jesus have for us. And you did mention that you are divorced, and but you were able to find the love of your life. And I, for one, know that it takes a lot of work to be married. And what advice should you give to some of the people that are listening that they might be single looking for a husband, or they might just be newly wed, or they're divorced, or they're married? What advice can you give them when it comes to when it comes to finding love? You no know, love that comes from not just from God, but the person that you are supposed to be with. Or how are they going to make a marriage work? It's a lot of questions, but yeah. No, but I can answer it. It's, mm-hmm. it's multi layered. So let's go step by step. Okay. I have a chapter in my book, chapter seven, that actually dives into this question. So I'm very happy that you brought it up. So what I did was, you got to look at your life and see how you're operating. Are you operating primarily from your fear-based ego? Or are you operating from your soul identity? Meaning your higher self. Meaning the person, the mind, that identity that identifies with the mind of God. Right? That is in alignment with that. If you find yourself operating from ego, my very first step would be to look inward and reflect what belief systems are driving your actions every day because the things that are driving us are the results that we see in our life, right? If, if we believe ourselves not to be enough, we're going to be taking actions that are going to be fear-based and that's not going to lead us to happiness and blessing and abundance because that's on the other side of, of the equation, right? That's on the fear side of things. So I would also create a very beautiful big vision as it comes to my relationships. What kind of relationship do you want? Who, what characteristics of the person, and I don't mean physical, I mean emotional characteristics, spiritual characteristics, do you want to find in a mate? And make a list of those things. And then what you want to do is you want to do some visualization um, or some, yeah, some visualiz- apply some visualization into imagining. So you're going to close your eyes and you're going to envision yourself meeting this person on the big flat screen, right? And you're going to, you're going to start visualizing how it's going to feel to meet this person. Because what happens a lot of times with our mind is it's basing what we're attracted to on the programming we've given it over time. So if the mind is programmed to be not enough, it's going to bridge, it's going to be attracted to all the wrong things for us, right? Like people that are not good for us. 
But if we start to clear out those fear-based beliefs and we start getting at new programming and saying, this is who I really want in my life. These are the characteristics. Then the mind has a direction it's going to take. And when it meets that person, it's gonna it's gonna say ding ding ding. Here it is. Here's the person that you're meant to to meet. Now, on the flip side of things, you also want to turn inward and ask God for guidance. Because it happened to me in chapter six, uh, Pfizer was going through a major restructuring, and I was about to lose my job as a single mom. And and I've been praying to God for a long, long time for a mate. So I've been doing all these visualization uh, techniques with my therapist. But on the flip side, I also wanted to include God in this decision. So I said, I need you to send me the person that you mean for me to meet. You know my heart. You know what I need. And I've been putting the feelers out there with my friends of like, I'm ready to date. And one weekend, my friend said, well, you need to come to this party because this guy will be here. And I remember asking God, is this the guy that I'm meant to meet? And right away, I got confirmation from God within like a day or two. And even when Pfizer restructured and I, was, I thought I was going to lose my job that weekend, the same weekend that I was scheduled to be at that party where I met my husband, I, um, I turned inward and a very strong prompting started to come to me. You need to go, you need to go, you need to go. And I went and that's where I met Donnie, my, my second husband. But I also, I did both, both uh, strategies. I cleared the mind, the ego, I empowered the ego, and I also turned inward and asked God for guidance. That sounds so great. What... Yeah, I love that. That's a really good advice. Thank you. And my other question that I haven't forgotten yet, my next question was, during that very difficult time of your life while you were in the hospital, and, you know, a lot of doctors are saying that this is going to be so hard. It's very dangerous. There's a big percentage. You won't be able to make it. How are you feeling at that? I mean, how how are you able to stay strong with your faith that, you know, hoping that everything will work out? You know, that's a, that's a good question, but it's also a, a tough question mm-hmm. because, you know, I had a very empowering environment around me too. I had Donnie who was there and my mom and these two individuals are very, very close to me. I've always been very close to me. So I think where we derive our strength too is from others. And you want to make sure that when you go through major change like this, you want to ensure you have an empowering community of people who have, who love you and who have your best interests at heart. And that's what kept me strong. Aside from my relationship with Christ, once I surrendered to him, he empowered me to have the strength. Even though inside, believe me, I did feel the terror. Because I think anyone who is in that situation is is going to feel a level of fear that is unlike any other fear out there. Because you face death pretty significantly. But I had, I had my faith. I had my relationship with Christ and I had those people that were surrounding me that I felt protected and loved and with strength. That sounds good. Thank you. And my next question is basically almost like doing discipleship, you know, like we share God to others, we share Jesus. 
Why do you think it's important for us to share Jesus to others? Because it's like any other, it's not like other relationships you have out there. I think for me, this is why I share my love for Jesus with people is that to me, Jesus is the one I could relate to the most because he had come in human form. Right. So I, when I envision him, I talk to him as if he were sitting right next to me. He's my confidant. He's my friend. He's the one I turn to when, when I'm even making the slightest of decisions because I want his opinion and I want to hear him. And I often have had those encounters with him that have been very, very strong. When I talk to individuals, I'll feel his presence next to me. Uh, at times when I talk to, to him, I forget my kids are in the backseat of the car <laughs> and I'm talking out loud and they're like, are you talking to yourself again? I said, no, I'm talking to Jesus because he's sitting right next to me. And they'll see it as a very natural relationship to have. Uh, and for me, that's, it's the love I have with him and the, and the way he has guided me throughout my life has been very significant. And I want others to have that. Because when you have that friendship and you have that person you can turn to, and and even though you cannot see him, you can feel him and you can hear him, especially when you do the work to quiet the mind daily, to tune into him. Like you meet up with God five minutes every day, you know, and that's a, I'm going to be starting a new thing calling meeting up with God because people have always asked me, how do you do that? And I said, well, you have to be intentional about it. It's like any relationship you have. If you don't turn and you don't talk to them, what happens to the relationship? It goes downhill, right? It's every day. It's consistency every day. And I just want people to know that they're never alone and that they can turn to someone. And that person would be Jesus so that Jesus can guide them into their own light and power. That's good. Thank you. And my next question is, as we know that, after accepting Christ that, you know, we get baptized, water baptized, and then, because it's like a sign of, you know, discipleship as well and following Jesus, like what the apostles did. In your opinion, why do you think it's important for people that just became Christian to be baptized? Because it's your decision now to accept it. Whereas when you're a baby, like say in the Catholic, that they baptize you, you're a baby, you don't really have a choice. You're a baby and your parents are deciding for you, right? Um, because I was born Catholic and I was indoctrinated until I got divorced. Um, so when I got baptized the second time around with my husband, nonetheless, on his birthday, like three or four years ago, then it became my choice to accept them, to say, I accept you because I've, I've felt you, I've had a relationship with you, and now it's my choice to do so. And I think that's once you make a choice – then you're making a commitment to a relationship. Thank you. That's great. And yeah, like like I said, and of course, because you're already, we're all matured enough and we know that we need Christ and we're sinners. And when you're a baby, you don't know nothing. So that doesn't, you know, qualify <laughs> it, right? And my next question before I ask the last one is, can you share with us what what made you write your book? He did. He'd been prompting me for 13 years, but my perfectionist waste kind of got in the way. I was so afraid of failure 
that I put it off for many, many years. He's been prompting me since 2007. That's 13 years before I even wrote the book because the book got written in 2020. So I waited 13 years and he kept prompting and prompting and I kept saying, nope, not right now because the perfect time hasn't arrived. And he kept saying, oh, okay, fine, I'll wait patiently. But then 2020 hit and he just was like, it is time for you to write this book. It is time, trust me. And I did and I can see why he had me write it because in the writing of the book, I was able to map out my own subconscious mind, which is the most powerful part of the two minds, you know, the, the emotional mind where all these traumas are stored. And once I did that, once I became consciously aware of how these beliefs were in the driver's seat and how much of a lie I had believed for so long, then I put the lies where they belonged in the past. And I healed completely, and I was able to forgive my father, my earthly father, who is turning 82 years old today, so happy birthday to my dad. I was able to forgive him for a trauma that I, that I experienced with him when I was a seven-year-old girl. And I had held on to that anger and that resentment for so long that in the writing of the book, I was able to heal those chapters in my life. And now when I see my dad, our relationship and our dynamic is totally different. And I can see why God had asked me to write certain chapters in the book so that I could heal and I could be the best version of me. Because when I'm the best version of me, since you and I both have children, then our kids have the best chance of being raised as happy, well-adjusted adults. And who doesn't want that? You know, because our future would be bright if our kids aren't dealing with fear-based beliefs and they step fully into God's master plan for their life. What a beautiful life we will all have and cherish and take advantage of, you know, because our kids will be the leaders. And I think that's a great example of what you just said, that it is hard for all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Is the waiting part because you have to wait for for that season because we have to remember that things happen it doesn't always happen the time we want it to happen. We have to wait on God's timing. And he told, he told you to do that in the middle of the pandemic and stuff, you know. We just have to wait. And yeah, that, that's just really interesting. And um, also, I also want to ask, I'm having so much fun talking with you. Can you share a little bit? Um, how did you end up working with John Maxwell? And can you... Share like just a little something, fun times or anything that you had while you're doing mission work with him and things like that. I I do love that question because it goes right back to God again. Because he prompted me to call Bridget. Now Bridget was my mentor with the John Maxwell team. And when I got divorced in 2009, I started taking personal development courses. Because I wanted to get to the root of, of why I picked people in my life, why I made certain choices. And I happened to to go to a business meeting and I met Bridget McAdams and she was with the John Maxwell team. John had just formed their teams and she was giving a 13, 13 to 15 week mastermind on John's book, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Personal Growth. And I happened to win a spot in her mastermind. So talk about like a beautiful moment, right? And I took, I read the book and it was so profound in my life. I was able to use a lot of the laws that he discusses even in the, 
even in my book, I discuss the law of the rubber band and I discuss the law of reflection. It's a big, big uh, a law in that book. And uh, in 2000 and let's see, when was it? 17. I was journaling. I had my baby girl by my side. My husband was traveling a lot during those years. And I was journaling and all of a sudden the prompting came called Bridget. And Bridget, at the time I moved to Austin in 2013, had said, you would be perfect for the John Maxwell team. But once again, my perfectionist ways got in the way of that. And I said, well, now I need a job with health insurance for my boy and I'm going to get remarried and all these excuses, right? But here's God trying to send messengers my way and I'm not listening, right? Because I'm letting my ego control my actions and I put it off. But this time the prompting was so strong in 2017 that I called her and I said, hey, is there a spot available on this team again? And she said, absolutely. Got me connected to the person who, by the way, lived in Austin. And I started the certification process. That was in May of 2017. And by August, I flew to Florida to their live event and got certified as a speaker, coach, and trainer with the John Maxwell team. And I started working pretty much like within the next two months, I had you know, gotten a couple of speaking engagements and I was actively speaking about my faith and about John's books and doing masterminds and really truly enjoying it. And that's how I joined him, but it's because God prompted me to call Bridget and I had gotten to a point in my relationship with him that when he prompts, I act, no questions asked. I just don't question it anymore because I saw the abundant way that he showed up for me. I don't question his ways anymore. And so I act on it. And as you know, the timing of the action is very critical to God's timing of events. So thank you. And yes, I agree because like I just said, like, you know, there's a difference between because anybody could just know God. Anybody could just know Jesus. But it's yeah. about your relationship. It's like having your 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 kids or your parents having that relationship, talking to them, and you could actually hear him speak to you if you're that close. And I know what you're saying because I would have those times like, okay, message somebody, call someone. I didn't even know why. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Oh, now I know why you told me because that person needs someone to talk to her and ask for an advice. So yeah, thank you for sharing. And one sure. more question. What advice can you give to anybody listening who might have not accepted Christ as their personal Savior? What advice can you give them? You know, God shows up in many forms. And I think most people forget that. I think when we look at religion versus faith, we're talking about two separate uh, conversations. And I think a lot of people group those two things together and they get turned off by their relationship with him. And I think that's what we forget. So I want you to reflect within yourself. You know, ask yourself, do I want to live this life by myself thinking I'm totally alone? Or do I want to have someone who truly has my back? Someone who, who loves me unconditionally, no matter the mistakes I make, no matter how horrible I can be sometimes. He's going to love you no matter what. And so... Once again, we're talking about different things. When we talk about accepting him, we're talking about having a relationship with him. We're not talking about religion. So if you grew up in a, a religious environment that told you you were wrong because you didn't do X, Y, or Z, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about turning inward, making that space to talk to him daily. And it's your journey. 
make it your journey with him, but at least turn to him once or twice. Give him a shot to come through for you because God is a perfect gentleman. He is not going to come into our life unless we ask him to. And if you're being proud or you're being or you're confused about your 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 religion versus faith versus relationship, I do some research on that too. Just look at it in different forms because he may be showing up to you in very different forms. He may be sending messengers to you. He may be he may come in different forms that when you feel that inner knowing, that butterfly feeling, that is him. In, in, in his form, because he knows that you need some more time <laughs> to get to know him personally. And so he's giving you the time by appearing in the form that is relatable to your soul. But he's always there, and he's just waiting for you to have a relationship with him. Thank you so much. It's so great having you. And can you remind all of our audience, of, again, the title of your book and your website? I'm still going to put it also in the episode, but can you tell them? So they'll know what to look for. Sure. So the title of the book is Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change. And it's available online anywhere. Or if you go to an independent bookstore, they can actually order the book. Uh, Sylvia Worsham is my name, and that's the author of the book. And if you want an autographed copy, uh, just email me directly, and I will send you a copy and an invoice for the copy of the book plus the shipping. That would be the only thing, so, but it is available uh, anywhere. Barnes & Nobles, Amazon has it, so really anywhere. Thank uh, you so much. We appreciate having you in our show today. Thank you, Mahal. It was a pleasure being here. I love this topic. Thank you, and I love talking to you. And to all our listeners, thank you to listening to our episode. And I hope that True Sylvia's wonderful words and encouragement and testimony of her life that you will make that ultimate decision and accept Christ as your personal Savior. Take care, everyone, and always remember, come to Jesus daily. Bye.